Good morning, Trinity Church. We are so glad to be here. If you don't know who I am, my husband and I have been gone for, our family's been gone for about a month. Um, My name is Heather Sweetman. Um, My husband, Matt Sweetman, is the head pastor here at Trinity. And it is so good to be back. It's always good to go, and it is always good to come home. And we came home uh, hitting the ground running. We had like four days and school started, and we had to buy all the school supplies. And so it's good to kind of get, um, be back and um, get our routine back in order. And I just want to say, if you are a teacher, if you're watching online, if you're here, if you're a teacher, I just want to say thank you. Um, Yes. Um, I've always had a great respect for teachers, and that was before COVID, and I think you guys are just incredible heroes, and now you're adjusting back to being in class, and so just thank you, and we appreciate you. So it just feels, guys, I appreciated what Merrick was saying, just about being able to gather together, remember who we are, remember who God is, because it's like the world is spinning, and from Afghanistan to Haiti to the devastation of Hurricane Ida, um, so many things uh, that we can name. There are plenty of causes to uh, pray for and plenty of causes to give to, and it just so happens that we are. As Raquel mentioned, we are starting a two-week mini-series called Live to Give, and um, so I get the privilege of kicking us off. So why are we talking about money? Um, I feel like when you go to church and it's talking, someone's talking about money, it's just like, ugh. Um, and to the crazy thing is, is that Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined, which is quite shocking to me. And I, I think I spent a good part of my younger adult years really thinking that money was bad and that you just needed to either give it away or save it. Like you just needed to keep it away, and uh, it, was, it would be fine. But the truth is, is that money is a neutral thing, that Jesus actually says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So I am going to get into our passage. I want to set up a few guidelines for us before we get into, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. But before I get there, I just want to kind of him us in a little bit. So there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible where God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. And the vast majority of those, like a good chunk of those more than anything else has to do with our generosity. If you are generous, then I will do this. And as we talk about generosity over the next two weeks, I want us to think even beyond giving money. I want us to think about giving of ourselves, giving of our time and our talents. I want us to think about giving of our encouragement, how we can give more praise, how we can give more gratitude. Now, that does not mean that we run ourselves into the ground, right? We don't hustle, 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 and then fall over from exhaustion. That's kind of what the world wants us to do. When we look at what Jesus did, we see him giving of himself and refreshing, and giving of himself and refreshing. If we give, 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 we burn out, right? And if we just refill, 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 we get complacent. And both of those are very bad. So, 
one of the things that can be easy when you think about money and giving of yourself, it can think, oh, well, you know, the New Testament, we don't have to tithe in the New Testament. Uh, it's very clear about that in the Old Testament, but in, in the New Testament, it's not uh, very clear. So actually, we're, what we're going to find out in 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about an extra gift beyond the actual tithe. So I want to just quickly establish that tithing is in the New Testament. Um, in Luke 11.42, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth, of, which is the tithe, of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. This is the key, what he says next. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Jesus is saying, do both. He wants our good works, and he wants our heart attitude. So let's read these verses quickly here. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched. These are some of the promises I was talking about. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So what is happening in these verses? So this is uh, written in the late uh, 40s AD. There was a famine sweeping across Judea, and Christians in Jerusalem were suffering. Paul responds by encouraging Christians to take up an offering to provide relief for the Jerusalem, Christian, the Jerusalem Christians. Paul actually mentions uh, in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, he mentions the Macedonian church, church that was, uh, it's a very poor church, and they gave of their own accord in spite of their poverty. So now the Corinthians were a very prosperous community. They were a very prosperous culture. And so now he's appealing to the Corinthian church to do the same thing, to take up an offering to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. So, Sometimes we can feel like the Macedonians, right? We can feel like we have nothing. I want to give us some numbers. When I read these, you guys, it kind of made my head spin. I want to give us some numbers because I wager that probably most of us are more like the Corinthians than we actually realize. So if you have $2,200 in assets, 
that puts you in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest. $2,200, world's wealthiest. So your phone, if you have a car, your laptop, think about all the things. If you lost your job, lost everything today, what could you sell? Would it add up to $2,200? That puts you in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest. If you made $1,500 last year, have decent clothes, live in a house or an apartment rented or owned, and have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, which the L and bus system here in Chicago do count for, that puts you in the top 15% of the world's wealthiest. If you have $61,000 in assets, you're among the richest 10% of the adults in the world. This one blew my mind. If you earn $25,000 or more annually, you are in the top 10% of the world's income earners. If you have any money saved at all, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and I would say a side note to this, as many of us in Chicago choose not to have a car or choose to have one car, so if you could, choose, if you could afford to have two cars and live in your own home, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest people. You feeling a little bit more like a Corinthian than a Macedonian? If you, more, if you earn more than $50,000 annually, you are in the top 1% of the world's income earners. We most likely are not the impoverished Macedonians who gave above and beyond their means. We are most likely the prosperous Christians. We are Corinthians. We are more rich than we have any idea. So let's look at these verses. Pardon me, one more thing. What we're gonna look at today is three things from these verses. One, how we live to give produces blessing, living to give produces provision, and living to give produces worship. So let's look at verse 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Very simply put, this is farming language, and uh, if I have my bucket of seeds and I'm going out to my field, and I have a big bucket of seeds, and I think, hmm, I'm going to sprinkle a little over there, and I'm going to sprinkle a little over there, and sprinkle a little over there. What is going to happen come harvest time? Not much. <laughs> Not a lot. I'm going to have a few things here, a few things there, a few things there, and I'm going to have my whole bucket of seeds that I just kept to myself because I loved all those seeds so much. Now, the Greek word here for bountifully actually means with blessing. So you could actually read this. Whoever sows with blessing will reap with blessing. And again, going back to the farming analogy, if I have my field and I've prepared it well and I have my bucket of seeds and I'm diligently placing my seeds into the ground at the appropriate amount to let them flourish and grow, I hopefully will see a beautiful, bountiful, blessed harvest. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
The Greek phrase for reluctantly actually means out of grief or sorrow. So Paul's like, don't give and like cry over it. <laughs> like, don't be sad when you give your gift away or when you give your time away or when you give, you know, your talents away. Don't do it out of grief or sorrow. And then the word for compulsion actually means out of necessity. So don't do it out of like feeling pressure, like, oh, I got to do this. Giving that comes from the heart and not grudgingly or under compulsion produces great joy in the heart of the giver. And who does not love a, a cheerful person or just a, a cheerful giver or even just a cheerful person? Recently, Matt and I, went uh, at the beginning of the summer when uh, the mask mandate was lifted outside, Matt and I were going for a walk and there was all these people out and they were all smiling at one another. And I was already like we were already enjoying our time together, but I felt like as we were walking and seeing everyone smiling, I was like, they're not even smiling at me, but I feel so happy because I can see them smiling. Their joy was becoming our joy, and it doesn't even matter the size of the gift, right? So uh, one of the most, one of the most meaningful, I think, generous acts that has happened to me, I've had a, I've there's been a lot. I could say a lot, but one that const God I feel like He constantly reminds me of is when we first moved to Chicago. We had some tragic, tragic news. My uh, I had a family member who actually took their life, and Matt actually happened to be gone at the time I received this news. And our boys were I think McCray was like six months old, and Jones was like twenty months old or something. And Jones had. Um, he had this little red puppy that he, like, comforted him. That's, that's the only thing he ever wanted was his little red puppy. And he had his Nana blanket. And those were the two items that brought him the most comfort. And I was crying, and I was trying to kind of hide from the boys because I didn't want them to, like, like, freak out about what's going on with Mom. And Jones comes walking around the corner with his little Nana blanket and his little red puppy. And he goes, here, Mama. And he gives them to me. It was just, like, such... A act, it's a huge act of generosity because I knew how important those were to him. He did not part with those things. So it doesn't even matter the size of the gift when you know it is a sacrifice. When a billionaire gives away a million dollars, it's not a sacrifice, right? There's a lady in our, my parents' church in Georgia, and she has nothing. And every time we go, she will give our family like $50. Like, take the kids out for ice cream. Like, we, we can take them out on our own. But it's just that she wants to bless us. And it means so much because we know that she doesn't have a lot to give. Early on in our marriage, Matt and I were at a church conference, and we knew at this conference that they would be taking up an offering to support various missions and church plants around the world. And we had prayed about it, and we had set aside some money to give to that offering. And when it came to the time, both of us felt like we were supposed to double the amount that we were going to give. And we didn't have a lot of money at that time. Essentially, if we doubled it, we were already giving sacrificially. If we doubled it, essentially, we would be emptying our bank account. And I did not feel like a cheerful giver, okay? So I was like, I was pretty terrified. And, but both of us felt like we were supposed to do it. And as we gave the gift, there was this joy that came rushing in. I mean, we were 
we were, I just remember looking at each other and laughing and laughing and laughing during worship. And it was just like, what are we doing? This is crazy, but oh well. Like just an incredible joy. Generosity produces blessing. When we live to give, it produces blessing. Just that blessing of joy in our own life, like that was incredible. And we paid all of our bills and we did not go hungry. God provides. All right, let's move on to verse 8. This is how living to give produces provision. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way through us, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When we are generous to him and others, he is generous to us. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. It is a simple yet profound truth. Now, going back a little bit to my story with Matt and I gave that, we, we may not feel like being generous, okay, guys? So I feel like whenever we want to do something, it's nice to feel like we want to do it. So we may not feel like being a generous giver, but if we wait for our feelings to get in the right place, we may miss something really important. I can be really okay in the morning and then like maybe a little upset in the afternoon and then by the evening I can be happy, right? So our feelings are like this, wee, wee, wee. We cannot wait for our feelings to get in line with what God has told us to do. When I was younger, I had a friend, I think I was, a, I was like 16 or 17, I had this friend who was, was like, so my mom told me that I could say, I don't want to obey, but I will obey. I was like, what? Because in my house, like growing up, it's like you do what you are told and you don't question it and you better have a good attitude. And that's probably the most extreme, that's probably what my, not my parents would say, but that was my interpretation of growing up at different times. And, but I just found a freedom in that. So I just thought to myself, I'm going to try that. And one time my mom uh, soon after told me, hey, go clean your room. And I just looked at her and I said, I don't feel like doing that, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and something shifted in me. I, and she looked at me and she was like, okay. And she never came back to it. And, uh, but something, something, I felt something shift just by acknowledging how I felt, but then choosing to do it. My emotions shifted. Our emo we cannot wait to be generous for our emotions to get in line because we will miss so much of what God has for us. And he has not, he has not dealt with us as we've deserved, right? So let's look, one of the best ways to be encouraged to be generous is to look at how God is generous to us. So these are just a tiny few things, how God is generous to us. But he is generous to us with his time. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a lot of time, 
right? He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And just think about the people, the amount of people that are in this room, and there's not like a ton of us, but just if he's committed to each one of us and the time that it takes to be committed to each one of us, he is generous with his time. He is generous with his grace. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God is generous with his provision. Matthew 6, 26 says, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? God is generous with his love. Romans 8, 35 and 38 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is the most generous giver. He dresses the flowers with splendor and cares for the sparrows. He lacks nothing. All of the money belongs to him. All of our energy comes from him. He's the one who created time, past, present, and future. And he gave us our talents and our interests. He gives us the breath and our lungs. God is the most cheerful giver. He's not like, oh, I got to give him air today. Dang it. Like He's like, here's air. Here's lots of air. Breathe it. He is the best example How can we not be generous to him? It's all his anyway, right? Right? Right. I recently heard a pastor say that giving is love in action. You you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. I was like, oh, that's really helpful. And, you know, if I say I love Matt, which I do, but I am not generous towards him, I don't love him. You cannot love without generosity. I would hope that you've asked, if you ask him, he would say that I'm very generous to him. Same, if I say I love my kids, which I do, but I am not generous towards them, I do not love them. I do, I do love you guys. <laughs> and I would hope that they would say that I'm generous towards them. Generous with my love and my encouragement and my affection and my money. The Bible tells us that you find out what you love by looking at how you spend your money. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we live to give, we are generous towards God. He is generous towards us, and generosity produces provision. The last one, generosity produces worship. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. When we give to others, we are partnering to him, with him to pour out his generosity, and we create and we inspire praise and worship. If you have ever been given an unexpected gift, 
it's gratitude that wells up in your heart. And if, especially if it's been something that you've been praying for, it produces worship. Worship team, you can come on up. <laughs> uh, Matt and I have been, our family has been the recipients of some incredible and timely provision from God. And every time that happens, we are moved to worship. Some of you know the story of our current van. We now are the owners of a handicap-accessible van, and we used to drive a 2002 Toyota Sienna. Up until like two years ago, we drove a very, very old car. Our goal was to run it into the ground, and that is what we did. Uh, Our daughter is in a wheelchair, and we had been advised to fundraise for this handicap-accessible van because they are very expensive. Uh, we are on our way home from, it was, it was May 2020. We were on our way home from Atlanta, Georgia, and we were in our 2002 Toyota Sienna, and a terrible noise occurred, and it stalled out and died. Over the course, of the, the, it's a long story, which I'm not going to go into it, but the course of the next few days, we had not fundraised. We had no funds for a new vehicle. We were our one family, one vehicle family. We needed a specific kind of car to get Finley into. Over the course of the next several days, people just started giving money. A fundraiser was kick-started that was not expected. And within, within a few days, we had enough money to put a down payment on the kind of van that she needed. We were in awe. We were in tears. We were overwhelmed by the generosity of God through the generosity of other people. And ultimately, it pushed us to worship God for his miraculous provision. And every time we get in that van, we say, thank you, God, for this van. Our generosity inspires worship. Paul actually wraps up this portion of his letter with worship. It says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In other words, thanks be to God for Jesus. God has given us eternal life through Jesus, the ultimate cheerful giver. In Hebrews 2, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You and I, that joy. He knew that despite the pain, despite the suffering he endured, that the joy would be worth it. He knew that the sacrifice would make a way for us to come to know God. So he did it. He died the death that you and I should have died. He buried our sin in the grave. He gave everything. He sacrificed everything for the ultimate blessing, for the ultimate provision, for the ultimate worship. It was for freedom that we have been set free to love God, to serve him with our time, with our money, with our energy, and with our worship. He is good. Yes? Yes. So practically, I would encourage us to take some time this week, just pray and ask God, how can we give more? We have become very accustomed to having our own time, right? We've been very accustomed to, and over the last 18 months, it's my time. And that really can lead to complacency, guys. We want to be a people who give him everything. 
I would also encourage you just to pray about what causes you can give to this week. There's a lot of needs in this world. We want to live to give as Jesus did. Let's respond with worship.